following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Ladies, gentlemen, clowns, penguins, villains, and would-be heroes of Gotham. Welcome to the Gotham City Podcast. My name is Ian, I'm your host, and yes, that accent is an Irish one. Every Tuesday on the podcast, we'll review the episode of Gotham from the night before, talk about the characters we meet, where they come from, their part in this new imagining of the world of Batman, and any other news leading to show as the season progresses. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for downloading another episode of the show, and apologies for this show going out a day late. This was just absolutely unavoidable, because sometimes real life gets in the way of things, and even gets in the way of Batman sometimes, just completely and not able to do. So... Monday night's show, wow, things are progressing and picking up, still a couple of niggles going on, but you know what, you can't start shooting Bambi the second he starts wobbling when he's walking, you just can't do it, it's not doable, Um, but let's get into a little bit of news about the show first, and you can't really talk about the first piece of news without there being a spoiler in it, Um, and you know what, I'm not going to be one of those podcasts that turns around and goes, spoilers, um, because I don't think this is actually a spoiler in terms of a very big thing, but there is going to be another element of the Batman universe coming to Fox's Gotham pretty shortly, and that is the character of Harvey Dent. Now, anyone who's familiar with the Batman universe, Harvey Dent goes on to become Two-Face later on, who is one of Batman's foes, and quite a formidable villain uh, in terms of having like psychiatric problems and the rest of it. So, um, But what's going to happen here is you're going to have this as a character now. It's not going to be the case of, as some people might have suggested early on, when they're like, oh, if they're going to bring in characters and bring in characters like Harvey Dent, maybe Harvey Dent is the same age as Bruce Wayne, and they're actually friends when they're kids. Which was just ridiculous. That was never going to happen. Harvey Dent is meant to be just a couple of years older than Bruce, in terms of like maybe 10 years older, not that much of a difference. Uh, so the, what's going to happen is you're going to have Harvey Dent coming in as a bright, charming, very idealistic assistant district attorney whose sole mission is to eradicate the crime and corruption that has poisoned Gotham. And that's coming straight out of Deadline.com's uh, own sort of uh, take on this. And this is actually really, a really, really cool thing. Now, currently, uh, the, it's going to be played by a guy called uh, Nicholas D'Agosto, or D'Agosto. Uh, who has actually already had parts before previously in Grey's Anatomy and also in uh, a Netflix uh, series, comedy series called, uh, I think it's Grace and Frankie. So this is actually going to be very, very cool uh, in terms of how this progresses. Now, one of the things that they have actually said about this is that... um, is that this is going to be a character which is going to be recurring in it. So I'm hoping... Well, that they don't do the Two-Face thing too soon in terms of turning them. I would prefer, again, to see how Harvey Dent's um, 
psyche is eventually sort of broken to the point where he does get disfigured. It is literally just a straw that breaks the camel's back. And again, I think this is important. And the reason this is important is that if they do decide later on that the very, very last episode of the show of Gotham, when it's all said and done after God knows how many seasons, is that the show ends with Batman putting on the cowl, fade out into the distance, bam, Gotham is closed out. I would prefer there to be some weight to villains. And again, villains don't just appear out of thin air. Villains are actually uh, people who are victims of either self-circumstance or of other circumstances. And don't deal with it in the best way possible. Um, Again, no one wakes up in the morning and decides, I'm going to be a villain. That's just not the reality of things. And when you have that sort of ideal uh, spoon-fed to you, it actually means that at no stage does the villain carry any gravitas or are they in any way threatening to the main character in reality. Because again, I've said this before, your hero is only as strong as the villain allows them to be and allows them to rise to be. Um, because the your hero is never really a hero um, because they are always going to be that one step behind the villain and it is going to be one circumstance which is provided by the villain which allows the hero to step up and to actually then prove that yes they are the hero yes they are worthy of your support and your emotional investment in their well-being and and ultimately their triumph now i know that's an awful lot to take in but you know sometimes it bees like that and we i like to sort of bring these kind of things along to people because the superhero universe uh whether it's dc or whether it's marvel or or any of the others, the important thing to remember is that everything happens for a reason. Things don't just happen for absolutely no reason. And the best parts of these stories are actually because of how these stories come into being, like the backstories of characters, why uh, heroes become heroes, or anti-heroes more importantly become heroes. Because in a Batman, you need to remember, is not quite a hero. He is an anti-hero. And what he stands for is... Well, it's some people look at him and go, yeah, he's a hero of the story. No, he's not really, because he operates outside the confines of the law, because he doesn't want to try and change society in terms of the natural confines and rigors of which society allows itself to be changed. That being through, number one, a democratic process, uh, and, number, and number two, making change at a societal level, as opposed to just beating the crap out of some thugs and some, and some bad guys out in the streets. So again, hugely, hugely important. So, moving on to the other piece of news I have for this week. Um, The ratings for Gotham have actually been quite good. And they've actually been really, really good. It actually tied with the blacklist uh, last week for the number two rated show with a 2.8 in the ratings. And I think that was even after they took the DVR stuff into account. So, Gotham is actually holding its own with a TV show which has been globally acclaimed, uh, Blacklist, which, uh, again, if you... If you're into your sort of crime shows and everything else, and you like them a little bit on the gritty side, Blacklist is an amazing show you should also check out as well. Um, And to tie with something which has NBC money behind it and has been doing particularly well where it's been picked up in foreign markets, uh, Gotham is holding its own, which is an amazing thing for it to say. So we'll see how the ratings go week on week. Um, Ratings are not really an important thing when you're a fan of these things. And you need to take the example last year of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which uh, started on this huge high of like 11 million people watching it, and then dwindling down to like a million plus by the very end, Uh, even though the end of its first season actually is what redeemed it. 
uh, quite hugely because the first half of the season was just an absolute write-off. And people bagged on the show quite an awful lot. And people were, were like, oh, it's just not as good as Arrow. No, it wasn't as good as Arrow by the CW Network. And that is a simple fact. But Arrow's first half of the very first season that it put out was a little bit on the hit and miss side, to be quite honest. And in the second half of that first season by Arrow, business picked up. And season two of Arrow was just absolutely flawless in my mind it wasn't a single episode that i really didn't like i loved every single episode i loved the stories and i loved the fact that oliver was constantly having the anti against him being upped that he was always finding himself on the back foot as the anti-hero against slade who was the villain and again they just got that arc so right where they actually had to get him to rise above and actually have to go dig that little bit deeper to actually overcome the odds against Slade, who was a vastly superior foe to him. Uh, again, hugely, hugely important in terms of how stories develop. But moving on to this week's show and talking about this week's episode, and the episode opens up wonderfully with Cobblepot returning to Gotham, and you, again, are reminded very starkly through the eyes of the villain um, who's able to spot every little piece of criminality that's going on around him, whether it's a cop on the take, people's handbags being taken, uh, etc. And he just shows just how rampant and flagrant the crime is in Gotham and that it is it is a city which is utterly, utterly riddled with a sickness and the sickness is crime. And there, and we were introduced to a banker who has committed a crime and you know, everyone's just like, no, a banker who's committed a crime. And again, it might seem kind of weird and odd and out of place in the world of Batman, but it's not really when you think about it. Um, because it is something which is relevant in the last number of years with everyone's economy pretty much being in the toilet. It's something that we we understand as a as a, a boogeyman, quote-unquote. Oh, Jesus, I hate when people do that, and I've just did it. So apologies to you all. Um, a, a boogeyman for us to be that's easily identifiable and this is someone who has robbed people's pensions and everything else and we kind of believe this a little bit more than uh someone wandering around with a mask and sticking people up and doing utterly ludicrous crimes for no other reason than to get a hero's attention but we're not at that point in the batman universe so we actually need to have something which is believable and that is someone who is a massive massive thief and con artist um and yeah, like financial crimes in Gotham, like yeah, it's nothing's off limits at the moment. And then we're introduced to the main protagonist of the story, which is the Balloon Man, who is, seems to be quite clearly indicated from uh, tying a weather balloon to the financier's wrist and then letting him off into the sky. That he is a vigilante seeking justice. And of course, when you've got someone who decides to tie a weather balloon to someone's wrist and that person gets carried away, and of course, we all know that weather balloons, when they go up in the air, uh, they need to deflate and come down at some time. That's an important piece of information. I I think that's pretty relevant. Um, So you find that uh, Gordon and you've got Bullock who are dispatched to the scene of the crime, which has, of course, been picked up by the media who have... Uh, have footage and seeing that the financier has been taken away up into the sky by the weather moon or the weather balloon and and there there is a vigilante who's out there starting to strike fear into the hearts of villains um doing it with a weather balloon probably the one of the creepiest ways they could have actually done that and you know what kind of beats a cow in the cape or does it no it doesn't um and we're introduced to lieutenant bill cranston back at the station who is who is bewildered because 
his partner in crime, uh, and I use that term that term very very loosely, for uh, going through his day to day work in the in the station. O'Brien is missing, and then we are introduced to the fact that O'Brien is a statue. Uh, quite a heavy statue with which he likes to interrogate people by beating the ever-loving pills out of them with it. And that he's a dirty cop who utterly revels in his dirtiness and is kind... I think I get the impression with him, he's kind of half-impressed with the Boy Scout nature of um, Lieutenant Gordon in the midst of all this absolute just corruption that is a prevalent and rampant in the Gotham City Police Department. Uh, which I think is just absolutely amazing. And it just really... You, you see him go back into the office with O'Brien and he introduces a perp going, Hey, this is my partner, Sergeant O'Brien. And then all you hear is the sounds of a guy screaming from behind the door. Um, you know, it's just so utterly blatant that the brutality of the police is on display quite publicly and unhidden, unashamedly, even within the confines of the police station. Um, amazing. Um, and then sort of when Gordon is is challenging Bullock and going, hey, why aren't you interested in trying to help catch uh, the person responsible for the potential or possible murder of the financier? And you're, and the, Gordon's uh, persistence in it again just shows that the guy has hopes, he has ideals, he well, he likes the idea of justice, but, you know, Bullock's morals you know, are extend to, you know, let white-collar criminals be murdered, and just, why can't that just be justice in itself? And yet this is the guy who sees no problems in in being a helping hands to the uh, the criminal element and being almost like an enforcer for the criminal element in Gotham. It's just, it's just utterly, again, it shows the real dichotomy and, and the, where the moral compass is in, in Gotham and that it is completely and utterly without a true north. Um, it is a compass which is just spinning wildly out of control. And... Bullock raises something which is really, really cool. I love his interaction with Gordon about Gordon's aversion to keeping cases closed. And he's like, Jim, which part of like closed cases being closed do you not seem to understand? Um, and it's actually quite cool. And then, of course, we're reintroduced to Cash, who's coming back to try and help Gordon put together the pieces for who actually murdered the Waynes. And I thought this was a... I actually really liked the interaction uh, of Biancova. Uh, with uh, Ben McKenzie's character on screen, I think it's it's kind of very very cool. Like there is a there is a bit of patience and understanding on Gordon's side of things, along with a massive amount of distrust because Cat uh, is a street child and is uh, he under he understands that you know out on the mean streets of Gotham, if you've been a street child and you've been able to survive it, and that there is a certain amount of respect and uh, caution that should also be applied to dealing with them. So she takes him on a clue chase down into the alley where the Waynes were murdered, showing Gordon where she was perched when she seen it happen. Gordon doesn't quite believe her. And she goes, hey, I can prove I was here because I robbed the guy's wallet around the corner. And he's like, okay, I can see where we know that the uh, person reported their wallet being stolen by someone who fits your description. That's com- still completely circumstantial and coincidental at this point without any hard evidence to say that you were actually here. She sends him down into the sewers, which is the perfect opportunity for her to slip the handcuffs. Oh, Jim Gordon, what a rookie mistake. Putting the handcuffs on her. You you should have guessed that in the first place she was going to be able to get herself out of it. And she was an escapologist. Because of course they are. And then we, we, we are again. Here's one of the things I hate about this 
uh, TV series so far, and it's something that I think they need to understand because they're starting to repeat some of this, even by the third episode, repeat some of the exact same mistakes that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually did, and that was trying to get their entire ensemble cast into each episode um, when it's not actually needed. It really, really isn't. There was nothing wrong with the first episode introducing you to all the characters in the way that they did. Perfect. There was no need to involve every single character in it. And again, this is another sort of classic writing mistake that I think that happens with American television writers when they're doing drama stories, is they don't allow you, as a viewer and someone who they're trying to get invested in a drama story, to be able to draw the lines between point A and point B when they're quite close together. And it's like, they have to actually. Here's what it's an example like: put a smile on your face, and then pointing to your, then point to yourself and say out loud, "I'm smiling." People can see that you're smiling. You don't need to tell them that you're smiling. They can see it, and that's what annoys me about this. Is there is a couple of times in this, and especially with the stuff with Fish Mooney, um, where it's a little bit obvious. And then you know what? It's not a reflection on the work that's carried out. Uh, by Jada Pinkett Smith. I think she plays that character really well, but there's a couple of things with it which are a little too hammy. I wish she would just dial back on and be a little bit more subtle with, um, which would then make when she is being menacing that feel that much more threatening. You know, kind of like that wolf in sheep's clothing thing. All the time, she feels like she is a wolf as opposed to. Um, being someone who knows how to turn it on and off, kind of like becoming a uh, like a werewolf. You know, what's hidden beneath the skin when the buttons are pushed in the right way or when uh, certain circumstances happen. Um, and I'll tell you what it is. It's that false fucking posh accent that that, is, that drives me bananas with it. Um, you know, that kind of very hoity-toity accent that which lines are delivered. I would like her to not be so obvious and blatant with that. And is the only thing I would say about her portrayal of this character. Um, because again, it's it's one of those things that rips people out of the moment. And you, when you're talking about a drama, the entire point is to always keep someone glued to their seat and on board of the roller coaster and be wondering what the next twist and turn is and never to be at the point where they're on the roller coaster and they're like, hmm, hang on a second, I need to do my shopping later on. Again, you've just taken someone out of the moment and then trying to get them reinvested into it becomes very, very difficult. Uh, whereas for the entire time you should actually keep them on it and be able to take them through those little lulls and always have them focused on the fact that they are on this journey on the roller coaster as opposed to being on it and taking that little mental break that goes hmm I'm doing my shopping later on because there, there's no investment in that point and it's the brain has just gone yeah this is boring I'm turning off and I'm not paying attention to it but she's she's talking to the major crimes unit about um who have come to her to talk about the disappearance of Cobblepot. And she indicates, of course, you know, Gordon offed them. And and she, of course, has no proof to be able to offer them so they can go and link the two. Um, again, Fish Mooney playing a very, very dangerous game and uh, and playing all sides to her, to her advantage. And, you know, that is the art of the ultimate manipulator, which is to make sure that... You bend reality to be whatever it is you want it to be to suit you. And if you're a master manipulator, this is what you're constantly trying to do. So they're trying to pin her into this where she doesn't have to be um, the biggest physically of 
the criminal elements that controlled Gotham. She doesn't have to have the most amount of muscle. She just has to be smart about how much pressure she applies, where she applies that pressure to, and how often she needs to go back and reapply that pressure. And to make sure, like it becomes less of a task of trying to uh, take on an entire army as one person, as opposed to just trying to to poke little needle points at things to be, to make stuff niggling and make it linger there. So the annoyance, the longer it goes on, the more it becomes an annoyance and that it becomes a distraction. And that is the most important thing. Again, it's like the whole thing about a magician where. They will make you focus on for a trick where there's something happening. They'll make you focus on one thing, which draws your focus away from the thing that's really happening. Uh, and again, it's it, again, it's just the art of good storytelling for giving a villain a vehicle to carry out what they need to do in a very smart way, without just going they're the bad guy. Of course, they just do this. That's what bad guys do because that's really lazy writing. Uh, so. Again, this is important. And then we, we, we come back to the fact that Cobblepot is, is trying to finagle his way back inside the criminal world undercover, which is really, really odd, but very, very cool at the same time. Trying to get a job in a kitchen um, which is of a restaurant which is frequented by the criminal element. And he says that his name is... Uh, or no, he's not even at this point. This is the point at which he is actually out in the street trying to buy a sandwich. Uh, and he said, a guy recognizes him and goes, Hey! You're a cobblepot. To which you realize, no, 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 my name is Dmitri. Dmitri, I'm from Russia. And he's like, no, you're not, you're a cobblepot. And then tries to turn him into Fish Mooney for a bounty. Uh, to which cobblepot, you know, again, showing that flash of viciousness, which is hugely important that the guy actually, you understand that he's not uh, just a psychopathic, randomly axe-wielding murderer type uh, that he actually is, he is executing with purpose and he's executing uh, with very, very vicious precision and without compromise or or without delay with it as well, which again is, is important to understand that villains aren't villains for no particular reason um, and that villains aren't always this overarching, like almost like <laughs> type uh, villain that's going on. They're actually a villain who... Uh, does not work within the spirits of the rules, obviously, number one. Number two, that when they need to cross over a boundary line for morals, there isn't a boundary line for them to cross over. Um, because as far as they're concerned, the ends justify the means. Again, very, very important for understanding the villain and how far a villain is able to go and ultimately allow a hero to go. And this character is now portrayed as, as something who is who is quite vicious and and uncompromising, and again, takes it away from the idea of the uh, Burgess Meredith type penguin, you know, sort of uh, the wacky villain. And again, if you're going to if you're going to try and build up a very very strong hero at the end of this, which of course is Batman or the anti-hero, you need to create these very very powerful villains, and they don't have to have massive superpowers. They just have to be so utterly unwavering in their ability to be cruel, their ability to be vicious their ability to um, not worry about the consequences and to be utterly selfish because a villain is utterly selfish um, and that is what ultimately drives him down the road but again so Cobblepot and to avoid being taken back to Mooney under a uh, a bounty which is still on his head 
uh, just stabs the guy, leaves him dead, and then gets a tuna sandwich. Now, I didn't really like that little piece that they threw in there, you know. So that's, and again, they don't need to do this. For people who are fans, they don't need to throw these obvious bones where it's the penguin. The penguin eats fishy stuff, of course, because that's what penguins do. They eat fish. So we'll make him have a tuna sandwich. And again, you didn't need to do that. People who are watching this who are fans know he's the goddamn penguin. You don't need to tell people that. Again, it's the same thing as, look, put a smile on your face and then holding a big sign and yelling, look at me, I'm smiling. You don't need to do that. It's lazy, lazy writing. Um, and I, I don't care if writers listen to this and they take umbrage with that because it is. Stop tr- treating people who are watching this as idiots. Um... Actually, treat the audience with that has a little bit of savvy. And again, if you've watched any of the superhero movies in the last couple of years, they moved away from this thing of where they treated the audience with disdain and like the audience hadn't a brain between their ears. And actually doing things which are smart. Like the Batman movies um, by Chris Nolan were quite smart in the way they were written. The uh, Superman movie that was done. Again, very, very smartly done. It didn't do things like, look at me, I'm smiling. It ele- it It didn't pander to people it, it it treated the audience with respect and allowed them to join dots with certain things without blatantly pointing big signs to it um so i just wish they would stop doing that and then there's the thing where you've got the cut back to wayne manor where you've got alfred and bruce who are engaging in this like mock sword play um type scenario and to be honest, I'm not sure how I feel right now about the whole Alfred thing. Uh, I really like Sean Pertwee as an actor. I've loved his role in in this so far in the first two episodes. And again, I, I feel really bad saying this because, again, it feels like me firing warning shots over Bambi's head as Bambi is just learning to walk. Um, but this is a TV show which has an awful lot riding on it. Uh, This is a TV show which has TV shows from the same genre, as in like, that are basically taken from the comic book universe, that have had these flaws, and it is repeating them. And I have a problem with, with that in terms of, because people aren't learning from the mistakes of others to make sure that they don't have it, so they get their shows out of the block a heck of a lot healthier, and then the shows get to go on and be successful, because they get to learn from those mistakes. Uh, which is something that like the current Marvel Universe actually learned from the mistakes of things that happened with like the first set of uh, Spider-Man movies that was done by, um, I want to say Sam Raimi. Yeah, Sam Raimi and um, the, uh, the subsequent Blade movies like Blade 2, Blade 3 or Blade Trinity as people like to call it. Uh, and the mistakes that those movies made. Uh, which allowed them to sort of rectify the problems when it came to making the Iron Man movies, which again made it smart, made it sassy, they didn't treat people like idiots, um, and they made it for every person, and they didn't need to do these giant pointers of things going, hey, this is for you, the hardcore fans. They they did it in a way where, again, they treated people with respect uh, who were watching it, whether they were familiar with this universe or not, and they didn't make people feel like they, they had to be familiar with it to actually enjoy it. So I wish they would stop doing these things, start learning from other things which have gone before it, and just be smarter about it. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, the way the first episode in this series teed everything up was perfect. Teed it all up nicely, people were able to get on with it and get through it. So 
it comes to the point where um, the sword play between Alfred and and Bruce, sorry, it gets a little bit a uh, little bit heated, and then sort of Alfred, Alfred call, halts, calls a halt to it um, after a shot by Bruce, where the files get knocked off the desk by Bruce. To which Alfred opens them up and then starts seeing uh, photos of Thomas and Martha Wayne dead. Uh, and it just gets into this sort of questioning thing uh, with Bruce, you know, it's, are you trying to be a detective? And again, this really, really irks me. It's like, they have to use the phrase, are you being a detective? This is a universe which doesn't have Batman in it yet. This is a universe where you're trying to talk to people who are in no way familiar with Batman and are in no way familiar with the Marvel comic book universe and you're trying you're not trying to drive them towards it but you're trying to get them to engage in it that maybe it triggers them to go hey we'll go and have a look at this or we'll present it in a way which makes it more acceptable for people to at some stage down the line buy into the cinematic universe what happens with the Justice League or other additional Batman movies you didn't need to go and do this pointing thing of going, are you a detective? Stop trying to jam these in. Guys, this episode, like up to this point in it, it's utterly riddled with this. It's it's so annoying. And oh, Please stop doing it. Um, it, it. Again, it just for anyone who is familiar with the universe, you just take them out of the story and, and out of the enjoyment of the story by going, oh, by the way, this... It's like, God, we know it already. Stop doing it. And then for new people who are watching it, um, again, you're, ju- you're just giving them a filler as opposed to giving them uh, something meaningful in, in that amount of time as well, which actually helps progress the story. Putting in at that point that he's a- learning to be a detective does not do anything to further the main story, which is the degradation and destruction of the soul of Gotham and what happens when a city is taken to its edge that makes one person, one man, or a group of people go, we've had enough. It is not... A, it might seem that the entire story is meant to be revolving around how does Batman become Batman? You know, who cares? That's not the important thing. The important thing is to understand is what the hell drives a city to take itself to the point of absolute self-destruction where one person actually goes, you know what, I have had enough. I'm privileged, I could easily just move and leave this. I've got nothing here that ties me anymore. My family has been killed. This city has just been shit to me. What makes them go, I'm going to risk everything I have, my wealth, my comfort, my ability to live my life and to try and get on with life after things have gotten really bad. What makes them go that step further to actually want to don a costume to go and and fight crime and literally just go hand to hand with criminals? What makes someone do that? And that is the point at which you're supposed to get to is what causes that initial trigger, not how do they become Batman. That is for much later on in this series. It is not for this point at all. It should not be in the first season. Uh, And again, I just think it's a really, really silly mistake by a group of writers who are obviously incredibly talented, but have learned nothing from the mistakes of TV series like Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and certainly nothing from TV series like the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Again, two TV series that people who are writing in the science fiction universe, where you're talking about um, things like this, where you could learn a heap from their mistakes, and not repeat it. But the rest of it is this story sort of revolves around... And this episode revolves around the Balloon Man and then, you know, taking out 
the crooked cop who we met earlier on. Again, convenient that we met him, Lieutenant Bill Cranston, um, and offing him. And then sort of offing a cardinal as well, who is a paedophile priest. Again, two things we can kind of understand. Dirty cops and... Um, and sex crimes by members of the clergy. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of like beating on the Catholic Church or anything. This is not the podcast we're at, and it certainly isn't. We're talking about something which is meant to be entertainment. Um, but again, they're giving us very, they're giving us snippets into things which are very, very easy for us to identify as criminals. And again, not outlandish criminal behaviour. Which then comes back to my previous complaints in the last two weeks for the starting episodes was where they take us out of reality with these ridiculous characters or these ridiculous scenarios. And then meanwhile, for this storyline for this week, Balloon Man, they root us into reality with crimes of a financial crime, a dirty cop, a paedophile priest. You know, they they need to, to, to pick their spots for this and be a little bit smarter how they pick their spots. The penguin wanting to get a job and then killing a guy for his shoes. I don't get why this was part of it. Um, it made no sense to me. And it makes no sense for how they are portrayed. Again, that's just that's taking a, a character who is deliberate in why he kills. Uh, and has a short few temper fuse to killing for the most arbitrary, stupid reason. Again, all they've done right there when they did that was the penguin killing a guy for his shoes was all the work that they've done so far with that character and trying to build up, you know, this guy has a very, very short fuse about being called penguin. This guy is also very smart in choosing why he needs to kill people. Again, earlier on, to not get taken back to Fish Mooney and at that point where he suckers the guy in and makes the, that he makes it seem that he's vulnerable pulls out a blade and just stabs him. It's like you know what you thought you had me because you had me in a position of vulnerability and I've just completely turned it on you and got overhand. He kills a guy for shoes. Just really, really silly, really, really random. And again, um, taking away the power that they were building up with that character in terms of why they do it. Um, I I don't get stuff like that. And then we're sort of in the Barbara and Jim dynamic is touched upon again in this episode, which I think is very, very cool. And we we are then sort of learn as to what the problem actually is uh, with Barbara, what her secret is. But I'll get into that in a second. Again, in this episode, you're seeing the whole thing of like the Wayne, who actually killed the Waynes and and Barbara pointing out to, to Jim that, you know what, you have given the city hope on your first case while you're on the job in the Gotham City Police Department you actually solved the most shocking crime that's happened in this city for a long long time which was who murdered Thomas and Martha Wayne and you can see that this lie continues to rest really really uneasy with Jim um, and you know I think one of the things that um, kind of bugs me with this is Keeping, if they're going to show that this is eating away at him, I want it to feel like it's actually jeopardizing him. I want it to feel like it's something that, where he's keeping a secret that if he doesn't get it out, he's going to burst. And I want it to start affecting his judgment. I want it to start affecting his demeanor. Because something like that, where this is a guy who is being pinnacled as, he is a, he's not perfect. He has his flaws. But he believes in justice. 
He's been involved in the killing of someone who was completely innocent of a crime, who has been stitched up post uh, posthumously, posthumously, yeah, posthumously as the killer of the of the Waynes. And it's it, to me, it, they're not portraying it enough as that it's actually breaking him and that it's actually causing um, him, him to have lapses in judgment about things. And you know, when he gets into the argument with uh, with Bullock about you know finding the cop killer, the indifference um, of and the flip flop is irking the character of Jim Gordon. And you know, he when he's doing this. Um, you know that you know why should there be a difference? It, he's unwittingly exposing himself to Bullock. That who who could actually go? Hang in a second. Don't you start getting all preachy and moral? Like you killed a guy. I was freaking standing there. In fact, I'm the one who told you that if you didn't kill him, I had orders to kill you. Uh, and I, again, I can understand why they're doing this when you give him, give him, take my previous comment, is that they're actually putting him in jeopardy and to show, you know, this is actually starting to uh, affect his judgment where he's getting preachy, um, knowing that he's sitting on a lie that he killed someone when he didn't kill someone. Uh, and I love the whole scene that follows this where it's almost like Gotham City, GCPD Blues, like NYPD Blue, uh, where you've got uh, Gordon and Bullock out in the streets, they're doing the shakedowns. And Bullock doing a shakedown for a burrito, which I thought was kind of cool. And it it wasn't like, um, you know, here's a silly face being pulled, go and laugh out loud. And where you would kind of expect that uh, canned audience laughter that you hear on really shitty sitcoms. Um, So again, I I kind of like that it was it was a little bit the humor in it was very dry. And, you know, it's needed for that. It can't be one of those things where it becomes almost like a Krusty the Clown type joke. Um. Which is very, 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 very cool. Um, and actually seeing Bullock doing some actual detective work. Uh, again, very, very interesting. And that was in the Pursuit of Smikers, who is the person he believes is the Balloon Man killer. Um, because he's has obviously he's been tipped off and learned that he's the guy who's stolen balloons. Again, very, very interesting. But the one thing I didn't really like about this, and here's where I'm going to draw... Align this. The cops, once they, um, pretty much admitting, like Gordon and Bullock admitting, they don't know what happens with weather balloons, or understanding that when the bodies go up, they don't just keep disappearing and going out into space. They do come down at some point. And in the previous episodes, we've had Edward Nigma show up in his pointless extravagance, but nonetheless turn up and do the. And here's the science bit. Not having that character turn up and do it almost felt like they missed the opportunity to go and do it. Uh, which would be just super annoying because they just would have had that over-the-top Edward Nigma character appearing. Um, but again, it, it just it broke the a trend and mould they actually set unwittingly in the first two episodes. Um, is to have that character enigma, but again, that would have fed into my primary complaint of trying to cram so every single character in as often as they can, um, and then you sort of realise how bad the criminal element is that Falcone is being plotted against on all sides, and they're pretty much it. It literally is dog eat dog in every which way, shape, and form to each other's face. They're all polite and respectful, and in the background, they're planning like various ways to go and stick knives in each other's backs. Um, 
and the balloon man just like again that sort of character again is the foreshadowing and you know that there is vigilantes there are people already at this point before gotham actually hits the skids completely and like ends up at the lowest point of them all from which batman has to rise out of where it absolutely has to be at its worst for the breaking point for the batman to happen um how little does Jim and the Gotham City Police Department actually realise that vigilantes are going to be coming fast and thick into their world and into their midst in the in, in the coming years? Um, and I love that speech that Jim Gordon gives where he speaks to the... Uh, and he's sitting with Barbara um, and he's speaking to the sickness of it and the warning against vigilanteism and that, you know, if you believe in, in justice, you believe in the law... Um, you will believe that there is, should never ever be a need for vigilantes. And when vigilantes exist, it means those who are charged with upholding the law, the police, the judiciary and everything else, they've actually failed. Oh, Jim, how little do you know that the Bat family, which is a family of, uh, of vigilantes, will be your allies and will be your greatest weapon in, in the pursuit of cleaning up Gotham and bringing law, order and justice back to things. Um, very, 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 very cool. And I really liked that they, they threw that in there. Um, again, you in the for fans of Batman, it's a cool thing because you're like, hey, Jim Gordon was against vigilanteism at some time and says vigilanteism failed. Well, guess what, Jim? You're going to fail miserably. Again, throwing that little nod, but not doing so in a really sort of... Uh, that character breaking the fourth wall and turning to you and winking, you know, the whole Malcolm in the Middle type deal, or Clarissa, um, the Melissa Joan Hart uh, series that many of us grew up with in the, uh, I think it was the 90s, yeah, from the 90s. Um, and I love the ending of the episode. The ending of the episode is actually probably my favourite, where Penguin actually turns up at the Gordon's apartment. Or she's not really the Gordon's at that point, because it's Barbara Keane, she's his girlfriend, not his wife, um, turning up at the apartment and going, hello, Jim. I like that because that's almost, um, it's like the thing of, you really should have killed me when you had the chance. Um, and now I'm going to make you pay for it and I'm going to hold this over you because you have two problems on your hands. And, and Jim Gordon at that point, you can see the look in his face and you realize that he has got two problems in his hands. First problem he has on his hands is, he is the penguin who's a psychopath on his doorstep. The Penguin has got a grudge to be held against Fish Mooney, uh, who's tried to have him killed. So, and Gordon is not exactly going on her Christmas card list. Uh, she doesn't like him or trust him, uh, because he's not dirty. And so he can't be bought. And so you've got this thing where a fish can hold it over him, where he's like, hey, ye, turn up, get his revenge on Fish Mooney. would be like, hey, he didn't kill me. And uh, that caused a problem for him. And number two, more importantly, which is the biggest problem of them all, his partner in crime was going to find out the penguin is back or the cobblepot is back and then realise that, hey, you didn't kill him like you were supposed to do. Now you put my ass in the grinder. Uh, I'm on the hook because I'm the one who went back and told Falcone that you're off this guy and he's going to realise the guy is back because Falcone knows everything and then he's going to come after me and I'm going to take a whipping for you. So... Again, hugely, hugely important, and it places this lovely point of jeopardy. And again, I'm kind of glad this happens in episode three of the show, so it actually starts cranking things up tighter and tighter on people. And this is the thing about a drama series is, 
is the continuing the continuously up the ante again. I keep saying this, but it's so apt. It literally is like a roller coaster journey, and anyone who's been on a roller coaster understands that. You get that first initial big dip that happens, which is like sort of meant to get your blood flowing and get the adrenaline going, and and to start putting the fear into you. But this, it doesn't always get to the case where every single subsequent dip, turn, loop, and everything else uh, is meant to uh, increase your your adrenaline levels and increase the feelings and the rush that you're getting. Sometimes there are these lulls in between and everything else where it just gets a little bit bumpy, but it, then it takes you on this really big, massive one and, and brings you back into these other smaller ones again that you get to move through. And again, it's to give you variety so there isn't an expectation because natural human expectation is that everything escalates in a continuous manner and in a continuous, consistent manner. So it's almost like a perfect 45-degree line of jeopardy. And that is not always the case. Sometimes the path to increasing jeopardy and increasing um, the fear of what's about to happen, the best thing to do it is to actually uh, take it through peaks and valleys and sometimes very, very subtle peaks and valleys that actually then become very, very hardcore peaks and valleys just seemingly out of nowhere. Because again, it just ups the intensity level. Again, something that in here, human nature, we tend to take... we we know doesn't happen um there is no such thing as a like i said the smooth 45 degree um increase in 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 our fears um they because we're human beings human beings are not are naturally irrational uh seldom are we rational when emotions come into it rationality for humans just gets utterly banged out the window and again this is important in understanding how stories are meant to be crafted um now couple of let's go into the the thing that we actually do each week on this show is where we start having a look at things the show is doing right and things that the show is uh, actually doing kind of not so right. Character development, I'm still quite okay with. I don't have a problem with that. Like I said, uh, and I'm going gonna, gonna to beat this phrase in the same way that uh, Lieutenant Cranston beats his uh, people he's interrogating. I can't really fire shots at Bambi when Bambi's learning to walk, and I can't really fire a warning shot over Bambi's head when he's learning to walk. It's just unfair, and it's not cool. Um, you need to let these things play out. You can have your gripes with things, but you need to let them kind of play out and see if they do actually rectify themselves. Does Bambi actually learn to walk? Does he go on to run? Um, so I still like the character development. Um, I the things that, the thing that I don't like, like I said, is these very very obvious like road signs that just keep getting thrown up. Hey, this is like a reference for all the fans who are like who know everything. Don't need to do it in some cases. Some cases you can just let it be a thing where they it's implied and they don't need to tell them. The tuna fish sandwich thing for number one didn't need to tell them that. Didn't need to tell them that Bruce was being a detective and doing detective work. Didn't have to use that phrase or have Alfred use that phrase at all. Could have just been a case of he's looking through the files. Again, that would have been enough for people who were in the know. Didn't have to go and do it. Uh, A thing that I did like with this, uh, I love that little sequence which was like real GCPD blues where uh, Bullock and Gordon were going around shaking people down trying to get information again. It was humorous in the right way and it wasn't humorous in the Christie the Clown way which I really, really liked because again, that's what bugs me and that comes to my next thing the things I don't like. 
the writers are obviously very, very smart because that scene worked beautifully and it wasn't camp and it wasn't totally tongue-in-cheek either and the humour that was in it worked because it was very, very dry and so it shows that they can write smart but then they write and do some very, very silly, stupid things. Um, I'm really... I'm enjoying the show. And it sounds like I've just had an awful lot of gripes. It's not an awful lot of gripes. Like I said, this is actually me complaining about piddly shit. And it's not piddly shit about the stories. It's not piddly shit about the, um, the progression of things. The thing that I'm getting annoyed about is, is just really, really bad writing. And again, this isn't unique to Gotham. It's, it seems to be a problem in Hollywood right now where screenwriters are dumbasses. Every single one of them, because they refuse to give their their audience credit and to give their audience uh, some kudos that they have brain matter between their ears, um, and that and and to take this arrogant approach that it's entertainment. People switch their brain off. No, this is a drama. Drama means people don't get to switch their brain off. You want to switch your brain off, you go and you watch a sitcom, which is just basically dumb, mindless comedy. You watch an action series where, you're again, your brain isn't required to be used because you're busy getting your rocks off and getting your jollies at explosions, people fighting, and all the other good shit that happens in action series. This is a drama. A drama is meant to take you on an emotional journey. It is also meant to take you on a journey where you don't get taken out of the moment because there is an emotional investment. An emotional investment means you actually have got to get to the point where people have got to use their brains a little bit because they they should be sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe this is going to happen. No, 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 no. And then it happens. That's So you have to get people to use their brain because it's a two-way street for that. Um... It has to have that in it. So that is, again, they're sort of they're the only really complaints I can actually have about that. Um, this week, I'm glad they didn't really have any super goofy characters uh, like last week's one. Uh, and no Edward Nigma! That was brilliant! Uh, an episode of no, no Edward Nigma in it. I was super, super happy about that. I'm uh, very happy. But again, very, very silly things like um, taking away the penguins heat and when I say heat I mean as in where people are utterly it's like wow you are a douchebag uh, and to actually take it to the point where they hate him and understand that he's a villain and a villain gets heat in terms of like bad feeling and and people who don't support them people who are against him like boos and jeers and and ill will toward the character that is heat it's a wrestling term I really like it um, and but they, when they decided to get him to kill people for his shoes they actually turned him, instead of being a very, very dangerous villain, into Sideshow Bob with that. Um, because it was a real Sideshow Bob move. Um, so if any writers listen to this podcast, for God's sake, stop doing Sideshow Bobs. You don't need them. You guys have probably proven you can write some very, very smart stuff with an awful lot of stuff that you've shown in the first three episodes. You've also proven that you understand how to make this a Batmanless world and not have us sitting there going, just put on the goddamn cape and cowl already. Just get onto like the car, because chicks dig the car. Um, you've proven you don't need to do that. 
So stop having these Sideshow Bob moments, and I think everyone else will get to enjoy the show. You'll get to grow the show as well. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to next week's episode as well. I haven't deliberately been watching the uh, the next episode previews that tend to happen for these things, uh, and I'm actually quite happy that I don't do it, um, because it keeps me honest in terms of my, when I go to watch it, I watch it fresh as opposed to going, I know this is going to happen next week, so I'm dealing with everything as it is. Folks, I want to say thank you very much for joining another episode of the show. Uh, I'm going to draw this one out to a close at this point. Um, one of the things that I want to come back to before I close out is people have have been wondering probably, you know, how's it going to getting a second host on the show or subsequent hosts on the show? I haven't had a single person email in to go, hey, I'd love to go and, and join on the show. Um, which is kind of disappointing in one respect because I know people want to have a second host in the show. Uh, they like the content, they like my approach, and they like my take on things and my views on things for this. But they prefer had someone else to be able to sort of bounce these things back and forth with. Uh, so at the moment I'm talking to a very good friend of mine who I do some other podcast work with. And I'm trying to convince him, because he is actually watching Gotham and really liking it, to jump on and become my co-host on the show. Uh, nothing is confirmed yet. Hopefully by next week I should know. And if it is, when you listen to the show next week and it is all good, then you'll hear two people on the show. If not, it's going to be one, in which case you need to help a brother out and help me find another host. And if you are one of those people who's like, hey, I would actually like to try and talk to this, to talk about this stuff with you, talk to me. Send me an email, gothamcitypodcast at gmail.com. Send me a tweet or a DM on Twitter at gothamcitypod. So, Bat fans, Gothamites, thank you for lending me your ears for another week and this episode of the GCP. I'll be back next week with another light to shine into the darkness of Gotham, the, the growing darkness in Gotham. And you can always check out this show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Like I said, you can follow the show on Twitter, do so at Gotham City Pod. And we always, as course, use the hashtag Hope, number four, Gotham. Don't forget to check out the site for any latest news. We also have got a newsletter that goes out on a daily basis with all the latest news uh, from the Gotham show as well, so you can check that out. Which is, And you can also make sure you follow the Reddit thread on Gotham, which is reddit.com forward slash or forward slash Gotham. Uh, so until next week, let there be hope for Gotham. Where there once was the sound There once sang a thousand voices Lies a graveyard of broken hearts Dreams and prayers Take a good look This is who